Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. And a warm welcome to the Afternoon Show. I'm Bill Arnold, where we have fun biblical engagement for ages 9 to 90. Proof of age is not required. So welcome to the show. Glad to have you. I'm looking forward to the show today because I'm going to get a chance to talk to Dr. Don Byerly, who I became familiar with over 30 years ago, who is a brilliant mind. And we're going to talk today about the evidence for God. And without excuse, we're going to discuss things like nature, history, and some personal experience. Dr. Don Byerly is not only a speaker and president of Faith Search International, he holds his master's and PhD degrees, PhD degrees in life sciences, and the master's degree in New Testament studies. Always glad to have him on. Don, welcome. Thank you, Bill. It's good to be with you again. Yeah, I love that we're going to go into the evidence for God. I mean, not, not that most of the people that listen to Faith Radio need any, but uh, boy, mm-hmm. in the in the age of defending our faith and being salt and light in a broken world, this is a, a good a good study. Yes, it is. In fact, when I began my ministry, Bill, I would have never thought that I would have to have a seminar or or evidence that I would need to give people on the existence of God, because my impression was most people believed in God, but not anymore. Uh, when you go to Europe and so forth, you're way down in the 20s, uh, the percents that we believe in God. Here, we're probably down around 60, 65 percent. Uh, so it's uh, uh, it's what the Bible talks about as apostasy, that is, people departing from faith in God. That's what apostasy means, right? People yeah, departing right. from faith in God. And there seems to be a high level of antagonism where people want and demand evidence. And I think, okay, I'll give it to you. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It's there. And you've been excellent uh, throughout the decades of helping people become better equipped at understanding uh, and how to defend their, their faith. So I appreciate yes. you and your consistency over all these decades of, of training oh, and discipling you. people, because that's it's key. So let's break this thank down and let's go about this in whatever way you want. But I know you've got a lot of uh, material prepared for us today. Maybe we should start simply on sure. uh, touching on the evidence that we see in nature. Yeah, I think that would be a good start. Let me give a a couple of other thoughts as I move into that. Uh, one, people are young people, and so forth are so acquainted with some of the claims that they see on TV, like you know the Carl Sagan. You know, he was the the science guy, and he says the cosmos is all that is, or was, or ever will be. Well, I mean that's pretty. Uh, firm statement and uh, with which I completely disagree. Um, I, I don't know where a man like that comes from when, you know, we read in Romans chapter 1, 18 through 20. And uh, in fact, let me uh, let me read that. I think that's a good starting point when we talk about nature. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in ungodliness because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident. For since the creation of the world, 
the invisible his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Uh, the word without excuse is apologia, which means they have no reason. They have no evidence to support their position. So mm. I think it's appropriate today that we take a look. What is the Bible talking about when it says that people are without excuse when they claim atheism? Uh, they're without evidence, without reason. Yeah, so good. So, and tell yeah. me that passage again in Romans. Romans 1, verses 18 through 20. Okay, because I know there's a lot of people that that heard the verse and they heard you read it and they're going to want to hear again what that verse is Romans 1 18 to 20 that's fantastic okay let's let's jump into the yeah. evidence in nature yes um what i want to make clear to people is that the evidence from nature can tell us that there must be an intelligent creator but it cannot tell us who it is nor that can it offer salvation uh, we have to go to the second argument, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, that's the evidence from history. And only with the evidence of history can we know who the intelligent creator was. And of course, I'm talking about the fact that God became flesh, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Suddenly we realize, oh, now I know who created because he came here to the planet to to reveal himself. But back again with nature, uh, I'm going to put it this way. The world, the world and the universe are highly ordered and mathematically precise. Mm. Does that make sense? Oh, total sense. Yes. Uh, Albert Einstein put together a sheet of paper, and on it he put five mathematical equations. And they had to do with the basic laws and the relationships of of the universe and and his point his point was i can in these five equations reduce in a sense the world and the universe into mathematical precision and he asked the question why should that be if the world is the result of chance random events then he said we should expect chaos yeah. not order right <laughs> And so his quote, his statement to his colleagues was the most incomprehensible thing about the world is that it is comprehensible. <laughs> he said, if, mm -hmm. if you're telling me that it came as a result of, of chance, then I would expect ch a chaos, not order. And uh, he, he said, if you're right, and that's the evolutionary position, if you're right, that what we see in the world, the order, the mathematical precision, then he said, we have on our hands a miracle. <laughs> because he said it can't be. Or he said we have an eternal mystery because he said no one knows how to explain how chance could come up with the order and the mathematical precision we see in the universe. Well, anyway, that, that's the main point. I have a couple more illustrations, Bill. I don't want to keep going no, on and on. No, and on, no, but... I love this. Dr. Don Byerly is my, my guest. And Don, when you have uh, people that have such uh, hostility to anything spiritual, I, I think they start to lose some of their intellectual honesty because I don't know how somebody can say there's no creator when you talk that way about the mathematical order 
of the world. How is That's that? Right. How is that just a random chance? Or, it, it, well, it's, it, it really can't. Uh, uh, I mean, if a man with the brilliance of Einstein, who, by the way, was not a Christian. I know. Uh, he, he was a Jewish man, but he didn't even practice Judaism. But he came to that conclusion that there has to be intelligence behind the uh, universe uh, simply from his science. Uh-huh. So that, so he, he's not coming from a religious uh, matter to to try to uh, coerce people. Well, let me let me give an example here. There's a book out called, and it's been out a while, called "The Privileged Planet," talking about planet Earth, of course. Mm -hmm. And it's written by Guillermo Gonzalez, and uh, he he was at the uh, uh, University of Iowa, Iowa State. I don't remember which one it was. Uh, and uh, when he wrote that book, uh, what he we what he contended in the book is that planet Earth is clearly designed and it's designed so for us to see the rest of the universe. He said, if we were somewhere else in, in our, in location, he said, it would be, it would be dark out or we wouldn't be able to see through the clutter. Uh, but where we are positioned was almost like we, it was designed so we could see the rest of the universe. And then he went ahead in the book and identified, I don't know, 27, I think, uh, uh, characteristics of planet Earth that uh, he said, he, and he, he applied, what, what's the chance that this would be true on planet Earth? And and we got done, he, he came up with, a, you know, one chance in a hundred trillion that this, all these characteristics could come together in one body uh, that would be inhabitable. Mm -hmm. uh, so people could live on it. You know, we're, you know, Bill, we, we, we do keep looking around and, and part of our space travel is see if we can find another planet where life evolved mm -hmm. uh, because we believe it evolved here. If we can find another planet with similar features, then we should expect life to have evolved there as well. Um, let me, let me read a passage. Isaiah 45, 18 Isaiah 45, 18, for thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he's the God who formed the earth and made it, he established it, did not create it a waste place, but formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. In other words, the scripture says, the Lord says, and in another place it says, the heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. In other words, he said, you can look all over the universe I created, but you're only going to find one place called planet Earth where you're going to have the characteristics that allow people to inhabit it. Mm -hmm. He said, that's what I did. I had, I created it for people to inhabit. And so I, I find it interesting that that's what the Bible says, and that's what we actually find when we look around the universe. Uh, the likelihood of finding another planet with these would be, as as Gonzalez would say, uh, one chance in a hundred trillion. Uh, and of course, there's a lot of bodies out there, a lot of a lot of space. But uh, in a, whether whether you look at the universe, whether you look at the the Earth, uh, we're looking at a highly ordered and a mathematically precise place, and that would not be expected unless in nature unless it was intelligent, intelligently created. Now, that's that's my first uh, 
position on on nature uh i have one more okay um let's do it and then we'll take a break okay the world and the universe bear the evidence of intelligent design and that's usually described as a purposeful arrangement of parts You, you go you find a book you look at the letters are in precise order they they are grouped into words the words are into sentences paragraphs and as you go through you expect this must be a result of intelligence or you look you're you're at a camp and you decide to take a long walk you get out in the woods and you can't find your way back but suddenly in the trail you see a stones arranged in the form of an arrow pointing down a path and you say ah there it is somebody arranged those stones so they would communicate a message uh life forms my eye i have a lens i have you know a cornea i have the uh, optic nerve i have all the parts and they are arranged in such a way that they actually produce a purposeful uh, function now that's how we tend to uh, find out if nature is written is from a intelligent source or whether it's a result of chance and and if you when i was with you the last time on the reliability of the bible i went ahead and did some discussion on dna uh here we have for the human blueprint we have 3.1 excuse me we have 4.2 billion letters these are chemical letters of course and there are only four letters that make us up, and they're arranged in three three letters per word, three letter words, and you put that together in precise order. How how much how many letters would it take? The equivalent of the number of letters in nine hundred Bibles. That's how many it takes to blueprint a baby, and you're going to tell me that those chemical letters got into that precise order by chance? Mm, uh, yeah, I'm not it, buying it. It. It, just, it just doesn't square no. with reality. Uh, and, and so uh, intelligent design is everywhere around us. We see uh, marvels in biology that that evolution by chance would not have any chance. Now, I realize we're dealing with the evidence for the existence of God, but uh, in nature, we can only demonstrate that there has to be a designer behind it all. Mm-hmm. all so right. that Muslims could do this argument as well. So could Hindus to defend the fact that there's a designer. Only Christianity can do now the historical after the break and say, okay, now we know who it is. Not just that there must be a designer, but we know who the designer is. Mm -hmm. Dr. Don Byerly is my guest. We're going to come back, continue talking about the evidence for God. You can learn more about Don at faithsearch.org. Be right back. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. I'm back with Dr. Don Byerly. He's a Christian speaker. He's the president of Faith Search. He's a research scientist. He's got a really good mind, and it's really fun talking to him today about the evidence 
for God. And Don, as you were talking about the evidence, it reminded me again of this wonderful verse in Psalm 24. Uh, the earth belongs to the Lord, and so does everything in it. The world belongs to him, and so do all those who live in it. Interesting. I got to look that one up. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's get back to uh, the more of the evidence in nature, because I think this is so fascinating. And anyone who's going to be intellectually honest is going to have to, at some point, agree to the incredible order that exists mathematically in this world. Yes. Uh, besides that, uh, Bill, there's a concept in biology called irreducible complexity. And I know that sounds uh, hard to, to fathom. What is that? All it means is that many functions, like a, the flagellum of a bacterial cell, mm -hmm. it's a hair-like projection that they can spin and, and kind of move through a liquid medium. Uh, people don't realize that there are, there are 50 different proteins that have to be present there in order for that flagellum to work. And if any one of those proteins is not there, it doesn't work. See, evolution works only on the basis that certain proteins would be present that would give that individual an advantage over other individuals so they would produce more offspring, and therefore evolution proceeds to, to the winners. Um, but the thing is, the flagellum doesn't work unless all 50 are there at the same time. Evolution knows no way to produce 50 proteins to be arranged together in such a way that it could make an operating flagellum at, at, at one time. Only creation could do that, where you'd have all the parts together at the same time, and now it functions, and it gives them a, a, a function that gives them an advantage. And so it, it, it's, it's uh, even irreducible complexity. In the field of biology, irreducible complexity is one of the really problem areas for evolutionists. <clears throat> because it clearly indicates there has to be an intelligent creator behind it, or else there would never be any anything that would work like that. Um, I want to give you one little example, Bill. It's a, a there's something called a plant hopper. It's a, just a little bit of an insect that uh, can jump like crazy. Uh, in fact, it can jump hundreds of times its body length, and how and they just now have discovered how it can do that. With electron micrography, they were able to look at his back legs, and they found out that there is actually a, a rotating disc on each legs with little gears, and <laughs> those can spin at 50,000 teeth per second. Oh, my. Now, think about that. And they mesh with each other so that the two legs will release at the same exact time. Otherwise, he'd spin out of control one way or the other mm -hmm. if one leg got ahead of the other. And here we have this incredible little motor that exists in the legs so that they can spin these gears and they run both legs at the same speed. And as a result, when they jump, they jump straight and they, <clears throat> they don't get all messed up. Uh, how does that come about by chance? It can't, Don. You hear stories like this, and you you are so I'm so fascinated. Yeah, they they uh, people simplify yeah. things 
in nature so that, oh, yeah, we say, oh, yeah, well, what happened is that this uh, kind of came in and then this these fins became legs. It, like, you think that's pretty easy, huh? <laughs> How fins are going to become legs. Right. They, they can't. It, right. It, it's there's there's just too much <laughs> order. There's too much complexity and specificity. Uh, for example, you look at Mount Rushmore and you say, the presidents, you know, the four former presidents. And you say, oh, I think that was the result of millions of years of wind and water erosion. Mm-hmm. Well, no, nobody's going to believe that. They would look at that and say, well, that that has to be the result of intelligent action mm-hmm. because of range of parts. I can even recognize who's who on the mountain there. <clears throat> That's exactly what we're talking about. We have precision, uh, mathematical precision. We have order, which could only be the result of of a, of a creator who is intelligent. When I was uh, about a month ago, I saw that a worker bee flaps their wings approximately 200 times per second. So when I think of the time when I get in the shower and I pull the little knob to get the shower water to start, yep. and that's about a second delay. And in that time, a, 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 this worker bee has flapped its wings 200 times. Yeah. Well, little uh, hummingbirds have been known to flap their wings about 700 times per second. Oh, you had to outdo me, didn't you, Don? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Should we say, do we have time to do just one little bit on history? We've got two minutes. Okay. Uh, If people want a passage that that is key, just like we had Romans 1, 18 to 20, it'd be John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. The, the word there is is a logos, and it refers to the person, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. And then in verse 14, and the word became flesh and lived with us, and we beheld his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, Christianity is the only religion that can document that we have an actual visit to planet Earth of the Creator Himself. And we can demonstrate that in history. We don't have to say, oh, I just imagined that, or I had a dream, or I had a vision. No, we actually have a person who lived here for 33 years, and he things that he said, things that he did, cannot be understood any other way than the fact that he is God. And not suddenly, and, and of course, he said God created the whole world. Uh, as a result, we suddenly not only have nature, which tells us that uh, there has to be an intelligent creator, and then we have history, and I can give more detail after the break, but yeah. we have history that makes it clear who that creator has to be. Mm-hmm. Dr. Don Barley is my guest. You can learn more about Don at faithsearch.org. We'll take a break and come back. We'll continue more on Evidence for God. If you have a question for Don, let me know. 877-933-2484. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. 
for dinner. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Welcome to the show. I never get tired of talking about the evidence for God as we see him in nature. And my guest is Dr. Don Byerly, who is a research scientist and a uh, theologian and an apologist. And he does just about everything. But during the breakdown, I was reminded of the sun's diameter, 864,000 miles, which is approximately mm. 400 times larger than the moon. And... Mm. It, you know, the sun is 400 times further away from the earth than the moon. That's why they appear to be about the same size, but the sun needs to be where it is. Otherwise, we would be a big French fry. That's right. That's exactly, you're, you're repeating what Gonzalez says in his book, The Privileged Planet. If the sun weren't the right distance, if they didn't have a moon, if we didn't, he, he, lists, he goes on and on and on and identifies things which cannot possibly be uh, the result of coincidence or chance. Uh, it's designed clearly so we could live here and survive. Mm-hmm. And as you talked about yeah. the flagellum, and I think this is this little thread-like structure uh, that is a perfect mechanism. And if all 50 design elements were in place, it wouldn't be able to function the way it does. So there's no way this could have evolved. Exactly. It cannot evolve. That kind of thing can't come about piecemeal. Right. Yes. It has to come out in completion. And the only way that could happen is if you had a a creation rather than uh, an evolution of it over time. Mm -hmm. You got it right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if people can just remember, uh, if they want to have a little assurance of the existence of God, they, they just think that uh, go out in nature and they're watching the sunset, they're watching, or, or they just look at their own body and, and and they have to marvel. How could this be? And I think intuitively everybody says, this couldn't have just happened. Somebody did it. I, I think that's intuitive for almost everyone. And so if they think in terms of nature, and think in terms of the the uh, incarnation of Jesus Christ to earth, and then they think of their own personal life transformation when they put their faith in Jesus Christ. And that's true of people all over the world. You've got those three kind of simple things, nature, history, and life transformation, are a really an easy way for you to think, well, yeah, those all support the existence of God. Excellent. Uh, Don, let's start talking about the evidence in history. Yeah. Okay. The, the dilemma, Bill, when you talk about the d- history is that uh, you have to talk about Jesus. And to talk about Jesus, you have to use the Bible. And people say, but I don't believe the Bible, even though I don't think it's really true. Uh, and so we're right back to our previous topic when I was with you about, uh, can we trust the Bible? Uh, what about the gospel records? And I don't have time on a short uh, show here to to be able to put all the evidence together, but you do it by saying, okay, is the text of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, is the text confident? Is it? Is it? Are we assured that that's the text that came from the first century from eyewitnesses of Jesus? And and I could only refer people, if they'd like to get into detail about that, 
they could uh, consider surprised by faith. Uh, my book, second chapter, goes into great detail about doing manuscript studies. This is scholarship, but manuscript studies that have now concluded that the New Testament records of Jesus are from eyewitnesses in the first century and have been transmitted to us, to the printing press, and then to us without any significant changes. So once we have, now we have a, a, a confident text, eyewitness text, and then is it historically trustworthy? I mean, are the people, the places, and the events, are they really true, or are they kind of made up, make-believe? Well, that's been studied by archaeology, and whether it be the uh, uh, crucifixion uh, methodology that is used at the, in the Gospels, or whether it be all kinds of 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 checking out on places. I mean, why do people go to the Holy Land? Because they can still see the remains of the first century 2,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so uh, it's easy to check out the historical reliability. I mean, is there a Jericho? Was there a, a Capernaum? Uh, on and on and on. And, and they find out, wait a minute, these texts have been proven again and again and again to speak truthfully about events, about places, and uh, about people, uh, even kings. And we have a bone box of, of the high priest who presided over the trial of Jesus. It's not a fictitious person. It's a real person of history. And uh, I think uh, one of the uh, researchers has published in Biblical Archaeology Review that some 50-some Old and New Testament people have now been documented by either literature references to them outside the Bible, I'm talking about, or some plaque that's been found by archaeology and excavation of some city somewhere, uh, 54, I think it is, from the Old Testament, and I think 29 or something from the New Testament, all have been demonstrated to be true. So, so what you what I've just done is said, okay, the text has integrity. It's eyewitness quality and been transmitted to us without any significant changes. And it is also historically true as a result of archaeological studies. Now we have a record that we can turn to and say, what was this Jesus like? And we find out what he said. And what he did, mm -hmm. he cl he claimed to be God. He claimed to be the I Am, which is the name of God. He claimed to be one with the Father. He claimed he could give eternal life to people. He said he was the son of the living God. When the, uh, the high priest asked him, are you the son of the living God? He says, I am. It, well, did he back it up? Yeah, he showed his authority over the laws of nature. He showed his authority to remove sin and its consequences. He showed his authority over death by his own not only raising other people from the dead, but by his own resurrection. And he claimed, showed that he had authority over the demonic spirit world. Well, who, who would have all those capabilities? Only God. And so you demonstrate the existence of God from the person of Jesus through the records that are, are, are very, very well substantiated. Mm -hmm. Does that 
that I know I've kind of ran through that fast, but that that's uh, Jesus is, as you know from Scripture in the New Testament, he is the manifestation uh, of God. Romans 1 goes further in verse 18, says, no one has ever seen God, but God the Son has revealed him. And so we don't have to, all the other religions, Bill, all the other religions, uh, except Judaism perhaps has a, a bit of a uh, inside track on this, but they all have no contact with their deity. Mm-hmm. That's why you have thousands and thousands of names of deity in in all the religions of the world, because they don't know what his name is. But when Jesus came, his name will be called Emmanuel. Yeah. And uh, left no doubt. Mm-hmm. Who is this? And and so that that that's really the argument uh, from history that uh, Jesus clearly has revealed to us the existence of God. Mm-hmm. Dr. Don Barley is my guest. We're talking about the evidence for God. And here's here's a question we can ask anybody. Is it possible that the same God who authored the Bible has the same ability to preserve it? Um, I, 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 would, I would say that's exactly true. Uh, but again, that's a whole field of study how um, the manuscripts have been preserved. Yes. And, and so you, you're, even, you're getting manuscripts of the, uh, in the second century of the Gospels. Right. Uh, and, and recently, Bill, I just ran across something from a scholar, and that is that a lot of the manuscripts from the uh, early years were, were uh, made on sheepskin or goatskin. Uh, they're called parchments, and they would last for 150 years mm-hmm. uh, in that form. That means if we had a parchment from some of the writings of the apostles in the first century, it would possibly still be in existence middle of the second century when we're seeing uh, the uh, copies being made. In other words, they were copying an original. <laughs> uh, wow. Uh, it, when they were making those. So we we now have a continuity all the way from the first century, all the way to the printing press in the four, in the uh, 15th century, 14, is it 13 or 1400? I think it's a 1400s printing press. Uh, and so we, if you take your Bible and say, well, I don't know if this is really what the apostles said in the first century or an eyewitness said, just grab your Bible. And if you went to the right museum, if you went to the right university, you find a document from the second century, the fifth century, the eighth century, the 11th century, and you sit down and compare them. And you'll find that it got transmitted over those 15, 1400 years without any significant changes that take place in the text. Mm-hmm. And Don, the word copying sounds kind of casual, but copying was a profession, wasn't it? Yeah, you're right. Um, this scribes uh, were, the scribism was a profession, uh, and the people who copied the Bible, Old and New Testament, seemed to be a special breed uh, in that they believed that they were copying the very word of God. As a result, they did not dare, they felt, have a single change where they would put words in God's mouth that he didn't say or take words away from what he did say. And so they're, they, they, like the Dead Sea Scrolls, 
there was 800 years to a thousand years between the time when the Dead Sea Scrolls were written and then when we have the Masoretic text, which is the oldest one we had before the Dead Sea Scrolls. I'm talking about the Old Testament now. Mm -hmm. And when they compared that Dead Sea Scrolls, like the book of Isaiah, to the one that we were using from later manuscripts, they were virtually the same. There's mm -hmm. a whole museum in Jerusalem based on the Dead Sea Scrolls and demonstrating that the one from the Masoretic text from 800 AD was almost identical to the one from 200 BC found at the wow. Dead Sea Scrolls. That's how careful the scribes were. They had special rules to make sure they did not make mistakes in the text. Mm -hmm. I and mean, that... there were, we know that there still were. Uh, there's occasionally we find a text that may differ by a little bit from another text of the same book. But it's easily since we have over twenty four thousand manuscripts of the of the New Testament, it's pretty easy to determine who made the mistake. Right, right. Doctor Don Barley is my guest. We're talking about evidence for God. We're going to take a break and come back, and we're going to talk about personal experience and transformation in people's lives. That's the third leg of this discussion on evidence. We touched on nature and then history. Now we're going to go for personal transformational experiences. Be right back. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. My guest is Dr. Don Byerly. We're talking about the evidence for God. Don is um, taking us on a wonderful journey uh, that involved the uh, physical evidence, uh, what we see in nature, and the history of uh, Scripture, and now I want to talk a little bit about just personal transformational experiences. Don, I know your story involved being a, a scientist that went from skepticism to faith. That's uh, that's very true, and not not just because I decided, but because uh, it, it was the uh, Spirit of God that convicted me of my sin. And and in my confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I began to experience changes in my attitude, changes in my my priorities, uh, and that's what we're talking about when we talk about transformed lives. And uh, Scripture is very clear on that. When uh, what is it Second Corinthians five seventeen? I think it is, which says, "When we become uh, uh, one in Christ, we become a new creation." Uh, the old has gone, the new has come, and and that's exactly right. And uh, uh, Bill, let me let me uh, uh, give a, a kind of a humorous uh, uh, response here to the transformation of uh, of believers. Uh, someone has said, "What do you think is the greatest argument for the existence of God?" And the person responds, "I think it's Christians." And then he asked another person, what do you think is the greatest argument against the existence of God? And they answered, I think it's Christians. <laughs> mm -hmm. In other words, if we don't walk the talk, if we aren't salt, and if we aren't light, then we are violating, so to speak, one of the arguments that God intended for his existence. We are, in fact, by our transformed lives to, uh, Jesus said it in the upper room, 
John chapter 17, so that the world may believe that he came. Uh, that's uh, so I, I just uh, remind myself, remind uh, the listeners, uh, keep in mind, we we may call it subjective evidence for God, but it's very real. And sometimes the only evidence some folks actually start to see. Mm-hmm. Don, if you're new to listening to Faith Radio and, and my guest just said, I need to, you need to be salt and light, what would, what would that mean to somebody who's just maybe kicking the tires of Christianity and not really sure uh, what you just said? Well, I think the best way would be to identify. Uh, um, I, I'm going to I'm going to quickly turn here to Galatians, and I'm looking at chapter five. Uh, now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, factions, envyings, drunkenness, carousing, things like these. But just a verse or two later, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit, which is what we're talking about in the transferring lives of believers, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Uh, that's what I mean by being salt and light. Uh, Bill, when I think, and I, I watch TV, I, I'm a bit into politics and so forth, but I'm aghast. If I were to, if I were be able to go in and 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 identify them, uh, wouldn't we have hundreds of lies per day coming out of Washington D.C. in the political arena? I I, don't, uh, I I would guess so. I don't know. I'm not following the news. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to be ac- accusing, but we have lying. We have contention. We have fighting. We have. All, that's what I mean. Christians should not have any part in that. We are salt. We 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 flavor life and make it desirable. In other words, when people look at us, they should say, "I'd like to be like that." Mm-hmm. So, Don, let's think like Jesus. How would we live a biblical, a better biblical worldview? Well, we would. Uh, uh, first of all, we would go into the Word of God. Because God says it's his word that provides light for our path. And and so a person who wants to manifest that evidence for God would, would want to be studying the, the word of God and letting the Holy Spirit change them. Let me, let me read again in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verses 17, 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory from the Lord who is the Spirit. Jesus promised when he came that he would bring another paraclete, another helper. Uh, that's in the upper room, John chapter uh, 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 14, I believe it is, where he said, I will bring another paraclete. He was referring to the Holy Spirit. He said, and he will be in you. 
Jesus was the first paraclete. Uh, that's the Greek word for helper. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus was the first helper, but when he was leaving that night, he told him, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm going to give you another helper, and it will be the spirit of truth, and he will be in you, the third person of the Trinity of God. And so we are to uh, submit uh, through reading God's word, the Holy Spirit, it says in Scripture, will continually remind us of what Jesus said. And therefore, we walk by the Spirit when we walk in obedience. And same thing is in John chapter 15, where he talks about the the, the vine and the branches. Uh, you cut yourself off from the, from the vine, uh, and Jesus is that vine, uh, and you're going to wilt and die. And so we stay uh, in the presence of the Lord through his word and yielding to the Holy Spirit within us. And so it, people say, well, that sounds kind of miraculous. And my answer is, you know, you're absolutely right. <laughs> to, be- <laughs> to become a Christian is a miracle that mm-hmm. only God can do. It's not just sitting down someday and saying, oh, you know what? I think I'm going to be a Christian. No, uh, it, it is an actual work of God that takes place that that begins the process of transformation. Mm-hmm. Don, let's say I just, you know, turn this station on, uh, maybe even accidentally, even though I think there's nothing in God's economy that's accidental, but we've talked about uh, evidence for God in nature and in history and through personal experiences and transformation. But just with the few minutes we've got left, uh, how can I know God? That's a good, that's, that's a great question. Uh, and the Bible says the beginning of knowledge and the beginning of wisdom uh, is the knowledge of God. Um, and we need to see God in his revelation of Jesus Christ. The person of Jesus says, uh, I, I, he, he promised that he would make us new. And so it's a question of going in and in and saying, I need to get to know who Jesus is. And I can do that in the Bible. Read the Gospel of Mark and, and ask the question, can I get to know who this is? And when you get there, said you will find out that he said he came not to serve, but to, not to uh, be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. In other words, he went to the cross, not for his own sin, but for ours. And if we understand that, and we have to be honest, and we admit that we have sin, and a lot of times sin that we really don't have control of. And even if you're a good person, you still have sin. And the result is, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, there's maybe a a few steps. You you first become knowledgeable about the person of Jesus, what he claimed, what he did. And then you say, I am a sinner and I repent. And then in that repentance, you receive forgiveness. You have to trust that that's what he promised. You will be forgiven if you repent of your sin. 
And in that repentance, he gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit to indwell you. And then you start on the journey of studying the word of God. And the spirit of God continues to interact with you to bring new light uh, and um, and actually new conviction, new commitment. Uh, so it's a growing process. Don, simply put, it is the most important decision you will make in your life. No question. Yeah. It transformed my life. I would never be where I am today if I had not submitted my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Mm. And over and over and over, from all over the world, it doesn't matter if you're a professional person, uh, it doesn't matter if you're in Japan, doesn't matter if you're in South Africa, South America, doesn't matter where you are, this transition, the transformation is very similar in all people who come to faith in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So good. Don, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's always so good to have you on. My pleasure, uh, Bill, anytime. Thank you so much. Dr. Don Byerly has been my guest. Go learn more about Don at faithsearch.org. He's got an amazing book called Surprised by Faith. I probably have 25 books that I know exactly where they are in my house. I got a lot of books, but I know where 25 are for sure. And, and Surprised by Faith is one of them because I, I refer to it often. It's a great resource. You can learn more about Don at faithsearch.org. That wraps up our show for the day and for the week. Thank you for supporting Faith Radio. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.